0: You're listening to that Chelsea podcast episode 75, Hacking Potter and the Cursed Belgian Statue. <laughs> Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast, a podcast that loves a late winner. No Jack this week, but I'm joined by the returning Rob Prattley. It's been a while, but Rob, how are we doing, sir? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, I'm not bad, mate. I'm not bad. You know, can't really complain when you get another three points and you win consecutive league games for the first time since October. So you know, the small wins and all that. Um, yeah, exactly that. As I always do with guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. So Rob, why don't you tell the people where they. where they can find you on Twitter, but where they can also find the Chelsea social and the Chelsea women's social.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the CSW, I'll probably sort of focus most of my attention on those two because the CSW social and the Chelsea social are two sort of platforms, great content creator platforms, welcome and open to anyone, loads of great articles, great content, great videos, great um, sort of edits. And yeah, just a really nice sort of community. Feel free to get in touch if you want to sort of join. We're on Twitter at the Chelsea social and at the CSW social. If you want to follow my personal thoughts, no idea why you would, but uh, you can find them at RJP Journalism on Twitter as well.
0: Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. All those links will be in the description below. Right. After the first, for the first time in forever, Chelsea were playing a Premier League game and it was at Selhurst Park. And it was, yeah, it wasn't great to watch, but the job got done. Uh, I'll just give my quick thoughts, and then I'll just get. Rob to give some fears. Uh essentially it was kind of probably same old, same old in terms of, you know, Chelsea had a lot of the ball. It was pretty comfortable. We never really looked like losing, but at the same time, did we ever really look like scoring? Uh a lot of the time the safe pass, you know, was taken too often. We didn't really create a huge amount. Um the attack, yeah, held on to the ball too long at points as well. Kind of goes again to the same infield. The subs were maybe a bit late for my liking, but in the end, they did com- have enough time to combine to effect. And uh, Hakim Ziyech, you know, continues his great form and helps us, you know. Get a big win, and he is probably you know one of the players of the second half of the season. Uh, Rob, your just kind of thoughts on the game?
1: Yeah, uh, I think that sums up quite nicely. In all honesty, and good to win, always good to get three points, always good to you know get a late winner. But wasn't really any sort of you know outstanding footballing performance.
0: Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. It was it was one of those games. I don't think many people are going to remember this game in the years to come at all. Um, but it was a job that got done. Um, as said, we'll, I guess just talk briefly on the match before we go on to listen to questions. Obviously, you know, unfortunately, due to illness, et cetera, uh, Asper Queda was out, Hudson Adoy was out, which, as do kind of allude to, eliminated the option of going to a back three against Crystal Palace. It meant we played a back four. Mm. Uh, Saar and Christensen were the fullbacks. Uh, obviously, Rudiger, Silver in defence, uh, midfield of Kante and Jorginho, Pulisic, Ziyech, uh, Havertz and Lukaku sort of up top. Uh, Rob, how did you just kind of think that, you know, the system worked in general? Because it was, you know, us, to be to be fair, like, whatever we think of, you know, how well we're, how we're playing at the moment, that is two clean sheets in our last two Premier League games. And it had been a while, it felt, since we mm. had kept a clean sheet in the Premier League, despite, you know, Chelsea being relatively solid this season. So how did you kind of just... Or do you kind of make it? And also, again, another sign that Rudiger again kind of shown that he can play in a back four, you know, pretty pretty well.
1: Mm, yeah, no, exa- exactly that. I feel it's one of those situations where you have to be quite happy with the versatility that players, I think, have shown. I think Christensen coming in at right back, the last time he played at right back was that game against Bradford. Um, so obviously a much better performance than that one. Saar, I think, is very much an auxiliary left back. He's not a natural in that position, but I thought he did okay from a defensive point of view, I'll be struggle going forward. But I think the real main issue for me was the fact that the midfield looked very disjointed. Um, you sort of had it there as a 4-2-3-1. A lot of the time it ends up more like a 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one, with Kante sort of pushed into that space and players coming central. I thought Pulisic far too often was coming central into the areas and trying to sort of play as the de facto false nine. Havertz too often was drifting out wide or coming too central and wasn't really holding his position at all. Uh, Lukaku just sort of did a very good impression of a scarecrow for the first sort of, you know, oh, for the whole 90 minutes, to be honest. Um, and yeah, I mean, I thought ZH again was the, was the bright spark. He looked like every time he got the ball, he looked like he was going to make something happen.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's fair enough. As Alias. was it was a, a 4-1, 4-1, of so we played yesterday. And um, yeah, it was just quite disjointed, uh, you know, quite frustrating to watch. And I say it was telling to me, You know, I said, well, I guess this is not a bad time to get onto Lukaku now, Rob. Seven touches, one including from kickoff. Mm. It was a very, very quiet display from Romelu Lukaku. But when we're talking with Rom, I feel that, you know, a lot of people are just going to focus on the seven touches and just go, that's so bad. And yes, it is bad. But part of me is also thinking, having watched that game, that there comes a point, and it was very damning to me that the one real good chance Rom got, albeit it was, you know, the offside goal. Was the one time Kovacic who came on actually someone played a ball sort of yeah. into his path and sort of spotted one of his runs mm. and led to you know him getting a shot away but obviously was he was offside and which he edge tapped away so you know sh- celebrations were short lived there but it kind of felt damning to me that that for all you know Rom struggles but the one time we had we brought a midfielder on who was actually willing to take you know play sort of that riskier pass we actually had a bit of joy albeit you know it was offside but I guess you your just kind of thoughts on, on Lukaku's general you know. Performance, but then also perhaps you know be sort of what uh, the you know performances of the others around him. I you know holding on to ball too long and not not releasing and spoiling his runs.
1: Yeah, I, I mean I think firstly I'll sort of say I'm doing a bit more of a sort of wider analysis thread on this on um, Twitter, so look out for sort of that on where goals come from and why they come. I was talking to a friend who's an Inter fan about this earlier this week, and they sort of said to me that so many of our goals last year came from the transition of. Bang, bang, a couple of quick passes out. Ball up to Lukaku, off to Lautaro, into Lukaku, goal. Now, when Lukaku was scoring goals earlier this season um, and was scoring the beginning of the season, you look at the couple of goals that... You look at the goal against Arsenal. Ball, couple of quick passes, ball out to Rhys James, bang, cross in, Lukaku's there. Simple enough. Aston Villa, first goal. Turn, on the break, ball through from Rhys James into Kovacic, Kovacic turns, slips through Lukaku, Lukaku gets away, scores. Third goal, Chelsea having possession, a couple of quick passes from the midfield, into Lukaku's feet, out of the feet, into the top corner, goal. What really, I think, frustrates me when I'm watching it is that there's two things, I think. Firstly, it's on the other players. Lukaku makes so many runs, or used to make so many runs, and just wasn't spotted, because players pick the safe option every single time. Now, I think partly this is because we're worried about getting hit on the counter in transition, because it's happened so many times to us. Especially when we've got four at the back. So, firstly, there's that issue. Players are just too risk-averse. They'd rather take the sideways pass. The only players, I think, regularly that try and pass forward are, and again, the only ones I can really think of, are Alonso tries to pass forward or shoot forward. And, like, that causes its own problems, but at least it does try. Malangsa tends to, because Malangsa doesn't hold onto the ball. Rudiger tends to, because Rudiger steps out of the defence. Thiago Silva tends to, because he does that. And Kovacic tends to. I'll give Ziyech it as well, because Ziyech, when he's just passing from deep, he does try to pass forward. Now, out of the rest of the squad, none of them try and do it. Mason Mount, maybe a little bit, but again, Mason Mount does like travelling with the ball a little bit, and so you lose some of that momentum. Now, when you are up against a team like Palace yesterday, where they're sat in the low block, they've got, you know, I think the three up front sort of pressing, and then bank of three midfielders and the defenders, it's very hard to break that down, especially when you're slow and static. So you're relying on one of two things, either a mistake, rare, a piece of brilliance, rare, or that incisive bit of play. And we didn't have that incisive bit of play at all. Now, also, this comes on to Lukaku. Lukaku needs to be making more runs. There were points in the game where he just stopped and wasn't making the runs because he didn't think the pass was going to come. You need to be making the runs. And then if the pass doesn't come, demanding it. And that's what I'd like to see more from him is demanding the ball. I don't want him to be dropping deep and knitting, knitting up with play because I don't see him as that sort of striker. And I'm not going to pretend he's that sort of striker. I've never seen people in the summer saying, you know, that Lukaku hey, his is all around football has improved, but ultimately he is a nine. He isn't the sort of player that's going to come deep, go past three players and, you know, smack one in from 30 yards. He's not the sort of player that's going to go on a mazy dribble from the halfway line. And we shouldn't be pretending he is. That, that's not the, sort of event, not the sort of striker Romelu Lukaku is. But the sort of player he is is an accomplished number nine inside the box. So the ball needs to be getting to him in the box. And it just isn't. And that's partly on him, it's partly on the other players. The other thing I think, you know, that does frustrate me is people saying, well, we should have scouted Lukaku better. I can guarantee you in the summer, if Lukaku had gone elsewhere, if he'd gone to City or gone to X Ex- or gone to Paris, or gone wherever, people would have had the knives out for Marina and said, why is Marina not, why is Marina not bidding for this? Why are we not making an offer? Why are we, you know, slow and sacking the transfer market? And... The same now I'm seeing people saying we should be giving Breuer a chance rather than buying him. I guarantee you in the summer, if you had done that, you just said Tuchel's getting thrown under the bus. He's not getting back here. He's not bringing in his players. So you can't literally just sit and constantly criticise Mourinho and, and criticise the board and also like you know, say that we shouldn't, you want us to go out and buy big-name players. It can't happen. And you need to either accept, okay, I will happily admit there are chances that have gone wrong. I would rather see us buy more, more cheaper players in all honesty, and see us look at more opportunities in the market and look at more sensible opportunities rather than chasing big-ticket names. The last big-ticket name we've bought that I think, you know, was a proper big name when he came in and has performed for a transfer fee. I'm not including Thiago Silva in this. And um, I'm not really... In- ben Chilwell, I would say, he is one, but he's not really a big, big name. I would say the last one was T- was Kante after his title-winning season. We got him for £30 because of a release clause. Let's face it, he would have been 50 60 otherwise. You know, that's fair to say, or not for sale. I I think we need to start as a fan as fans, accepting that perhaps the club do know better when they're scouting players. And when you see us linked with, say, you know, XYZ striker or XYZ player, look at the player and don't look at the name. Don't look at the fact that, you know, it's not sort of some big number nine who's starting for a big international club. Look at their goal scoring records. Look at their information about their link-up play. Look at what is the important stuff about it, not the name. Yeah,
0: fair enough. Fair enough. Good, good from you there. Yeah, exactly. It's with with, um, with Rom, I know he is a very frustrating player, and it's been you know frustrating for a lot of fans just watching him the last mm. month or so. And I've been very critical of him, but at the same time, when I'm watching games yesterday, when the, that game was basically just us holding the ball in the middle of the pitch for however many minutes yesterday. I kind of feel like I can't really be too too strongly critical on Rom, despite you know that that stat graphic or whatever that I read out about his him having seven touches. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was pretty pretty frustrating. But you know, thankfully, thankfully in the end we did sort of get a job done. Before we kind of move on to questions, I do want to ask Rob. You know, I kind of saw sort of mentioned it earlier. You know that Kovačić came on, and he sort of was the one who spotted one of Rom's passes. And you mentioned mm. earlier he's the one who takes the risk. Is Mateo Kovačić? probably in current form compared to Jorginho and Kante, is he, should he be the first name sort yeah. of, on that team sheet from a midfield point of view, and then it'd be one of Jorginho and Kante with him? Because for me, again, I look at Kante yesterday, he's he's not bad, but he's not great. And I feel like I've probably been saying that about Angelo Kante for, for a little while now, especially, you mm-hmm. know, watching his performances. Again, you know, Saar plays, you know, Saar plays that brilliant pass to him. And then, you know, he shoots straight keeper. Okay, that's, you know, not really Kante's yeah. strength, but you're kind of thinking mm-hmm. like, any sort of anyone else but Kante, but... In general, the Jorginho, I didn't really notice the guy, which probably says, you know, he was all right, but it probably also shows to me he wasn't outstanding or did anything magnificent or that I, you know, took note of. So for me, for you, would you say, you know, Mateo Kovacic, given especially before he's been in this season, is he perhaps the first name you'd like in that midfield team sheet? And you know, basically Mateo Kovacic needs to start, you know, the Carolaka yeah, final?
1: I, yeah, I'd say so. I mean I I think with Kovacic, the the thing Kovacic has massively improved on this season. Is his decision-making and his choices when it comes to passing. Um, last season, I think my frustration with Kovacic was his progression is brilliant. I don't think there's a better dribbler in our squad. I think there's seldom better in the Premier League, seldom better in Europe than Kovacic at full flow. Um, you can see exactly why he's got the, again, it's very similar to the way Modric used to play of Modric's ability to turn and just relieve pressure by that little turn, that little drop of the shoulder and moving away from a couple of players. Now, I think Kovacic is the player to get the more out of Lukaku because, and you've seen it with the fact that they have assisted, that he has got, you know, several of the assists for Lukaku, is that he turns, he commits players. And as soon as you commit players and move them out of the shape, then you create more room for the forward players and for the other players because you start breaking defensive lines. That was something we massively, massively, massively lacked yesterday. I think Pulisic was trying to do it, but it was just, you know, Pulisic I thought had a really, really, really poor game. And it was another one where I kind of, my... my my issue with Pulisic is that if Pulisic is going to come out in interviews and say, I want to be playing in my position, I want to be playing, you know, further forward, et cetera, et cetera, and keep doing that, then you need to be backing it up with performances. When ZH came out and said, you know, I want to play on the wing, my role is a right- as a right winger. Since playing him on the right wing, he's been brilliant. I think it's fair to say, you know, Ziyech has been the outstanding player for Chelsea in 2022. Um, he's adding goals to his game, he's adding assists to his game, is generally playing very, very well. Now, I don't mind that, you know, he came out and said, I want to be playing that position, because he's backing it up with talk. Pulisic wasn't. But going back to the Kovacic point, I think that for me, yesterday's midfielder Kanté and Jorginho was far too it was the wrong sort of midfield to play against the Crystal Palace side that were always going to sit in. And I think, you know, Tuchel should have recognised that at half time and maybe brought on I'd lost the cheek I thought was poor after he came on, but I'd have maybe you know, Saul was on the bench, I know Saul isn't everyone's cup of tea, but he does try and break the lines and try and pass forward um, again. And also he's more mobile than Jorginho. But first and foremost, yeah, I would have had Kovacic on because every time that Kovacic got the ball after he came on, he was looking up and trying to break that line or he was looking to try and commit a couple of players. And even if you commit a couple of players and then lose the ball and it goes to one of your teammates, you've suddenly got a situation where you've taken players out of the game. And far too often our defensive style and the fact we're so risk averse means that we don't do that. And I think a lot of that risk aversion comes from the fact when Jorginho is on the pitch. If you have, say, Kovacic and Jorginho, and Kovacic is the player that loses the ball and they're transitioning and they're pressing, they can go, you know, everyone can breeze past Jorginho and then you're in on the back, you know, too. That is what I think Chelsea at the moment. And that's where I think the lack of the defensive midfielder really comes in.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. I do think, you know, with the current, you know, midfield personnel I think there is certainly an element of sort of playing with the handbrake on a bit and you know the safe option not being played enough and he said yeah Kovic you know again this is coming from someone who genuinely my my relationship with Mateo Kovic has got like a bit up and down because he's just been one of those players in his Chelsea career that has just confused me so much and I've been for four years or whatever it took me you know three or four years I was trying to work out what he was but this year I think it finally you know finally been able to to appreciate him but I also think a lot of Chelsea fans have purely because he's actually added a lot to his game as well. And we've kind of realised, yeah. okay, now he is, you know, this player that everyone says he can be and what he's capable he of. He is
1: out. becoming that complete midfield option. Um, and that that is why I've said this to a couple of people that obviously there are younger midfielders Chelsea currently have, I think, out alone in Gallagher and Gilmore. There are players that I think, unfortunately, their longer term future doesn't like Chelsea in Barkley and Loftus-Cheek, Saul, And then there are the three midfielders of Jorginho, Kante and Kovacic, who are all coming towards 30. I think, you know, Kante and Jorginho may already be 30. Um, Kovacic, I think, is 28, 29. And you've got to start making decisions and planning for the longer term. And for me, at the moment, it would be Kovacic is the untouchable one. And then it's between Kante and Jorginho. I love Angola Conte, but I think it's possibly getting to that point now where, and I've said this to a few people, Conte because he didn't have that, Um, development as a youngster in a professional academy and that ability to manage injuries that certain players have had um, and that sort of conditioning for it, eventually they're going to catch up with him. As for Jorginho, I think Jorginho has been a brilliant player over the last two years. I think he's got an awful lot of um, unfair stick at times. But I do think he does limit you somewhat in the way you want to play. And as a result of that, you either have to build around Jorginho and put players in there that complement Jorginho's style, alternatively, you can't play Jorginho. Um, and I know, you know, people will criticise this and will say, you know, that, that sort of why have we had these results in the last couple of years? I think that's because people like Timo Werner, that does a lot of running off the ball, and Werner does work very hard, is the sort of player that does complement Jorginho quite well. I think Reese James and Ben Chilwell's wing-backs complement Jorginho quite well because they've got the legs in there. And those legs, I mean, James, one of his biggest, the biggest things Chelsea miss at the moment is when they used to have possession. Reese James became a de facto central midfielder and became that midfield option and became someone also that would commit players and drive players and go forward because he can turn and dribble and use his strength. And I think that's one thing Chelsea really are missing at the moment is that extra bit of naus and ability in there to turn the defence.
0: Yeah, no, again, Robbie probably just absolutely nailed it this Sunday morning. And yeah, it said it's, it's one of those where Jorginho is, you know, is a player who who's very good. You know, again, it took a lot of it took him only took him in the Champions League for a lot of Chelsea fans, me included, to to really, really appreciate him. You know, kind of, you know, knew was a, a decent player, but to really, really appreciate him. But also, you know, I do think you also have to realize that you know there are obviously deficiencies in his game. There's deficiencies in a lot of these players' games. They're not obviously perfect, but I think it is. You know, you know, perhaps telling that the league form, again, it's not purely on him. The misfiring attack is clearly an issue as well. But there is also, I think, just looking at the pattern as well, that amid of, you know, last season I said, you know, this Premier League midfield that we have, this midfield we have wouldn't be good enough to win us a Premier League. But, you know, obviously in Europe we then showed what we could do. And then maybe I started to question myself. And then at the start of this season, when we started going really well, I also started to question myself. And maybe it's, maybe I'm being a bit reactionary, but it just does make me wonder if maybe, maybe I was maybe slightly correct in my thinking that this current midfield we have isn't good enough to win us. Premier League, it is an issue. One, and look, I'm not, you know, this is a must, like, lame the blame mm. at Jorginho's door for, for how we played yesterday. Because said with Jorginho, I genuinely, like, I didn't think he was amazing, but I didn't think he was poor. It was just, you know, a, prop, a sort of slightly forgettable Jorginho performance, but it was fine, but just, you know, solid but unspectacular, I suppose we would say. And yeah, in general, that was probably how you would describe a lot of Chelsea players yesterday solid but unspectacular. And then obviously, some of the attackers. Just, you know, very, very unspectacular. I'm mm. uh, going to kind of move on to listener questions. Yeah. First one comes in from Shyam. And I know, Rob, you've replied to this. You are looking forward to getting to it. So I'll let you just take first crack at it. ZHA only promising attack lately seems to thrive when it's a back four, while the team itself is better drilled in a back three. So what do you do if you're too cool going forward in terms of formation? Keep in mind the availability of Reese as well.
1: Mm. So this is a really interesting one because I look back at our season last year and obviously there was an awful lot of criticism um, of Frank Lampard's Chelsea being unable to defend. However, it is worth noting that when Edouard Mendy came in last year, we were playing with that back four with Thiago Silva and Zuma alongside him. Uh, ben Chilwell at left back, Reese James at right back, and then with the three midfield with Kante sitting, Havertz and Mount in that sort of two-eighths position, and then Lukaku, Werner... Um, not Lukaku, sorry, Werner, um, Pulisic and Ziyech as the front three. We played that game, that sort of formation several times, including that game against Sheffield United at home last year, in which Ziyech particularly shunned. I also think that Ziyech, Ziyech I don't think thrives necessarily only when it's a back four. I think that's possibly a little bit of a um, uh, sort of a misnomer in a way. I think Ziyech fries when he's playing on the right wing position and playing as a right winger. However, with our 3-4-3 structure, he rarely ever ends up on the right wing position. A lot of the time he ends up shunted either back into that number 10 role in the midfield, or alternatively ends up stuck sort of in that de facto right forward position, because Rhys James comes so high up on the wing and so blocks that winger area. Now, to me, there's a couple of issue interesting points in this. Number one is with Reese James now of another year of experience, we were starting to see him coming into the midfield and coming into that midfield area more. So can you get to a situation where you play with edge as the wing back and you can also have Reese James tucking into that midfield area. Now that leaves you more susceptible on the transition, but if you've got the right defensive midfield option in there, that might be okay. Also Reese James is no slouch. So I think that's a you know solution in that regard. Secondly, I also think the other one that potentially is one to go within the more um, not necessarily open ga- open games is the wrong word, but the more tough competitive games is possibly playing Laquetta purely as a pure fullback because I think it'd be fair to say Asp is still a very good fullback, just as a defensive fullback he's still very good at that. He's able to do that part of the role adeptly, and then you can play Reece James in the midfield, or maybe even put Reece James in. And this is again, if you have Ziet tiring, you maybe put Reece James into the front three because James is finishing and crossing. I would say is some of the best in the squad. Um, So I I think going forward, Chelsea have to be building, not necessarily around a three or four, but they need to be thinking about how they can get the most out of a player in a certain position. Because formations really are a bit irrelevant. It's all about how the players deploy in the formation. Because people, you know, say the 3-4-3 makes us more solid. Well, we've played the back four recently and conceded less XG than we were when we were playing the three four three.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, yeah, I said. Sean, I think it's, it's interesting. Obviously, Tuchel said that you know ZS didn't stop the Club World Cup final because we were sort of playing a free of the back, and he kind of felt that in that you know wouldn't get the best the best out of him. Um, it's a tough one, I to said, because I think ultimately the 3 and the 4 back. I think for, for, I don't think free of the back works particularly great without Chile and Reece James. Whereas I think in a back four with, albeit hit, hit and miss, I think with asplaqueta and Malang Sarr, we can, we can sort of, you know, do okay. And I think we are probably all right there, but as for, you know, as for Ziyech and how we of you know, he is, you know, our best attacker in current form. And let's be clear, this is probably the best front of former Chelsea attacker has been on this season, you know, in terms of just performing, you know, consistently for a while. So that's, that's good to see and ultimately it's just going to be interesting to see how we do I see I wouldn't be I mean I don't you know Leal again that might be an interesting one do we do we just you stick with the back four of that but I I do think you know the Carabao Cup final we very may well see a, a return to the back three just purely because I think that is in general the more tried and that is the more trusted system the one the players perhaps know slightly best and I think it's also the one that you know the players have had a lot of success in so it, it'll be an interesting one to see but um yeah, I think when Reese comes back, it will be certainly interesting to see, and I think how we. Cope with I, I it think it forward. would be
1: very interesting next week to see what Chelsea do. Be- and I, I've posed this to someone else that I wonder if Chelsea will possibly, and it, it wouldn't be as it might come as a surprise, but it would not shock me completely as if they play Reese James at right back and put Azpilicueta to left back as the defensive left back because he can play there to combat the threat of Mo Salah.
0: That is interesting because obviously. Uh, Most Salah did, uh rather rinse Alonso at the bridge for his goal although to be fair I did think Alonso was fairly solid aside from that moment it, it's certainly an interesting one and I think ultimately you know in terms of what we do go in terms of formation ultimately when you've got a misfiring attack like we do I'm not sure formation change in formation is going to really make a, a huge difference so I think is just going to see what what he thinks is best by game yeah. by game basis uh, next question comes in from Daniel He's got two. Uh, first one, is our attack faltering because we simply are two passive in possession, or is there no space in which to play key passes? Uh, mm-hmm. to play passes. I refer to the pass from Covert to Lukaku for ZHL. It's Like obviously I kind of touched on that, you know, saying that you know, Cover playing, you know, one of you few taking uh, a risk in sort of playing that that progressive pass. Yeah. Uh Rob, is that is our attack foreign because we simply too passive in possession? Because I think a lot of people will look at us and compare us to City and Liverpool and they are probably a lot better, a lot quicker on the ball and a lot they do play ultimately a lot yeah. more progressive pass and I think there was a stat as well this year that I don't know these exact numbers but Liverpool and Manchester City have had a lot more shots on goal than we yeah. have which you know to me is pretty telling
1: yeah uh, shots on goals is an interesting one because like uh, there've been games in recent weeks especially some of them where we've not struggled with shots on goal and it's been a case of conversion has been the issue however I do think we are too passive in possession. Again, as I said earlier, I think far too often the safe pass is taken because we're worried about being hit on the transition. Um, And also I think because players are perhaps more risk-averse in the side, there's been, you know, Tuchel's system has been quite notoriously been quite safe. um, And it is, you know, not necessarily risk, uh, sort of, you know, doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily risk-inducive. However, I do think at times the, when the people talk about space, I certainly do think at times that teams do come in and try and sit on a low block against us. And I've said this, that I think, you know, against, certainly against Liverpool, I'm not necessarily sure against City, but against Liverpool, people have a perception that you can get at Liverpool's defence and have a perception that you can get in at it. So teams are more open because they're happy to attack it. Now, I'm not going to say whether I think that's right or not. I think that's, you know, a whole different question. It depends who's in that defence. It depends who they're playing against. But I think teams do look at Chelsea and say, well, it's very hard to break them down, so let's make it very hard to break us down as well. And if they then commit two players forward, then we can hit them on the counter. You look at how, for example, Southampton played against us at the bridge earlier this year compared to how they play against other sides. Southampton, when they played against United away last week, playing high line, sitting, pressing, pushing. When they played against us, passive, sitting in, Two banks of four, two strikers up front. They were playing for set pieces and getting goals from that. So I do think teams do change their way they play against us. And I I said this again off recording. that It was very telling, I think, that when the goal came against Crystal Palace, Palace's instinct suddenly changed. and There was a lot more bigger passes forward, a lot more quicker balls forward, longer passes in over the top that they weren't playing before that. So in a way, I think the late goal yesterday was actually quite good because it didn't give Palace time to respond and time to make a change. But I do think other sides, the way Chelsea, you know, look at them, they do try and sit in and play with that defensive, you know, system because they challenge Chelsea to break them down and they lack that incisive edge at the moment.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Second part of that question, I'll link it into Anna's question. Uh, Dan asks, happy with Ziyech, and Anna goes, how do you think that Hakim Ziyech has developed since he joined us? And how do you think he will develop between now and the end of the season? Because Rob, as you said, you know, we mentioned Hakim Ziyech, is arguably sort of whilst Thiago Silva and Rudiger are probably the front runners for player of the season, and Kovacic is maybe you know slightly behind them. Yeah, Hakim Ziyech is probably in terms of performance levels in twenty twenty two probably you know on a par with those boys as well, and it's probably you know arguably one of Chelsea's star players of twenty two twenty twenty two. So how how happy are you with Hakim Ziyech's you know current form, and how much do you think you know we're seeing him sort of develop now at Chelsea, or yeah?
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting because Ziyech like Ziyech is one of those players that. I think you look at it and you want them to do well because there's an interesting story behind the player. It, actually, it's quite interesting in that ZH at a lot of his clubs, and he had this when he was at SA20, he struggled and he sort of came in, had a burst, struggled, and then suddenly started firing. Uh, Ajax came in, struggled at first, no, started well, struggled, and then suddenly started firing. And you're sort of seeing that pattern again repeat itself, the same you see with the Moroccan national team, albeit at the moment he's declared himself off for Morocco. Um, due to a dispute with the coach. But I think it's really, really fascinating that Ziyech is one of those players that he is incredibly one-footed. I think that is fair to say it. But the ability in that one foot makes him such a threat and such a weapon that so often teams are now trying to go two, three players on him. And I think what Chelsea need to do more is they almost need someone who's going to be as risk-inducive as Ziyech on the other wing And I think sometimes Hudson-Odoi is this player. Sometimes he picks the easy pass. It does annoy me when he does that because he should be taking on his man. He has the ability to do that. But as soon as you start committing players, which is what ZH does, you force teams to start changing their shape. Because as soon as you commit a player, if you get round one, suddenly it's no longer, you know, a back four against, say, an attacking three. It's a three on three. Or if you've got a situation where they're sat in a low block the bank of five you suddenly a five becomes a four then one of the other players has to come across and more space should be created I also think it's um very telling that Ziyech is one of those players and this is something I've banged on that we don't get anywhere near enough goals from is he lurks in that space in the six yard in the six yard box that anticipates if players are going to get shots in or crosses are going to get missed for how many times this season have we seen situations where good crosses have gone into the box and they've been wasted because there's been no one on the back post or no one gambling that a defender's going to miss it, and the ball bounces, defender does miss it, and it goes out, you know, we maybe recycle possession in the throw-in position or get a throw-in out of it or get a corner out of it, which should be a goal because there should be a player in there. And that's one of the things with it I really like is he sits in that area and you watch him just peel off, like with the Lukaku side goal yesterday, you see him, he just peels off the defender so that if the ball comes back off the goalkeeper and his palmed back into the space, he is there for the tap-in. Now, okay, Lukaku was offside, but how often do we see our, our team score goals like that, which should be gimmies? Like, I, I always say teams should score a minimum 10 goals a season where there is no goalkeeper in the net. Because if you force a goalkeeper into a save, there should be a chance on the rebound that someone should put in. How often have we done that? Just as a, out of your thoughts.
0: Yeah, honestly, I can't think of a, an easy goal. Um... But the
1: last one I can remember... Would was it be Reece Norwich, James, Norwich when James... Mount got
0: his hat-trick? Ruben drew the keeper and Mount tapped in? That's the only yeah. best one. That's yeah. one i can come to of my head, but I can't think that's of any that of that The
1: things. only other one I can think of is Rhys James. Was it second one against...
0: Oh, Newcastle. Weber against keepers. Newcastle, yeah. where he,
1: the shot was blocked and the keeper had committed. Yeah. And that, that's a bit different because the keeper had already committed. But... Yeah, how we see so often keepers make saves against us, palm them out, and there's no one in there to put it away. So really, really happy with Ziyech at the minute. What I really want to see is these, you know, this not to be a flash in the pan. I want to see that consistency. I think he's the sort of guy that is a big game player. Um, and I'd like to see him show that next week. We saw it last year against Manchester City, you know, several times coming up with decisive goals. We saw it against um, Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. We've seen it in other games that he can be... Super a real, Cup
0: this year as well, before he went off yeah,
1: injured. Yeah, Super Cup as well, before going off injured. We, we've seen that he can be a real, you know, big game player, along with Kai Havertz. And that's where I think we need to see it next week. This is where I think, you know, Ziyech can start paying back that price tag because he wasn't a cheap signing, let's face it. But he is a very, very good footballer. And that, I think, is the thing Chelsea need to harness more, is that footballing ability of Ziyech. Because if you're harnessing that, you know, enough, then... I think suddenly you can afford the fact that he is very one-footed. You can get away with that because that one foot can do some, you know, pretty majestic things.
0: Yeah, and as you sort of, you mentioned earlier, I think you see him back post, obviously that's how he scored his goal yesterday, you know, which, you know, credit to Alonso, brilliant cross to yeah. the back post. And there's the EHR mark back post, but also I think back to that goal he scored against Watford's Gasly-Noran Season, that was him making sort of a run front post yeah. from Mounts Cross and that's him. And then you saw of mentioned about him being in box, that's two of his four goals this season in the Premier League anyway, that have been scored just from him being in the box and then I think you go to Mama away back, Callum cross and yep, he's there at the, exactly. the back post, the... you know, to tap in.
1: Exactly. And these are the sort of, go- to me, they're the sort of bread and butter goals. That, And again, this is why I hate it when people say Mo Salah's just a poacher, because Salah scores a lot of goals like that. There is a skill to being in that position. Aguero used to be the master at it. Aguero used to get so many goals inside the six-yard box and, you know, other strikers before. Torres, when he was at Liverpool. Um, the more recent one I remember, which was with Loic Remy, being in that right place at the right time just for a tap in, it's not a bad thing. And people, again, due to this love in football Twitter of, you know, what is a, you know, hugador and ludicrous dribbling and stuff like that, I appreciate that in the game and I'm a big fan of that. But just because a goal is scored from one yard as opposed to 30 yards, it does not make it any less of a goal. It still requires, you know, the move and the ability for it to be in the right place at the right time, it still counts for the exact same thing. And we don't score anywhere near enough inside the six-yard box.
0: Yeah, no, exactly, exactly there. But as I say, going back to CH, yeah, I've been really pleased with him. And I said, he was the player when we signed him in that big summer. He was the one I was most excited about, purely because I'd also just seen him first-hand destroy us at Sanford Bridge for Ajax. And I thought, this is a good player. And I know there is a good player. And it's nice to see that there seems to be, you know, a player in there who's coming, who's coming good and also like, Despite, I know people sometimes we we like to be body body language experts, and sometimes the H does give off this you know disinterested look. But I'm actually like in terms of you know players in form, I'm actually really happy. It is Hacking the a player who is yeah you know because I do think he you know he is really he does have a point to prove and really wants to be a success here. So I'm I'm really happy. From you said it, it's kind of telling. But in the space of. I go back because I laugh this because I was never really on board with this. But I go back to, I think, January. You had the old people go, we should sell Ziyech and bring back Eden Hazard. And you yeah. kind of look now at, at what's going on. and You're like, oh, this Hakim Ziyech guy there, yeah, we're pretty, you should be, yeah, we're pretty yeah. pleased we kept it now. So it's, uh I, yeah.
1: I, will, also, I will also say it again on the, the body language point of view. I I get annoyed when people overanalyze body language because I, on one hand, I do like seeing players showing passion. But on the other hand, I see players, you know, like Kai Havertz and Ozil was one I I used to say as a common example at like Arsenal. People used to say Meza Ozil didn't care. I can guarantee you Meza Ozil did care. Meza Ozil was one of those players under Mourinho. Mourinho used to say with Ozil, he's one of those players It doesn't necessarily show it physically, but he mentally, it hurts. Ziyech would not have liked being out of the team. He wouldn't have liked being off the bench, being the super sub, etc. He made it pretty clear, you know, in interviews that he wanted to play a bigger role. And... I don't mind him, you know, having that bit of that confidence and that swaggy, you know, the goal was against Tottenham, I think, where he did the shrug. I don't mind that bit of confidence. If a player knows they're good enough to do it, fair play, you know, just do it on a regular basis. And if you do it on a regular basis, you can celebrate how you like, you know, you can all guns blazing, knee sliding, you can simply turn around and shrug. Because if that, you know, ultimately, it's your choice, it's your decision. But the one thing I will say with Ziyech is he did put, you know, he came out in in interviews, he said that, you know, I want to be playing on the wing. He's had a chance on the wing and he's put his money where his mouth is. And that is something that, um, again, one final sort of point, is, Ziyech is one of those players that does at least like taking shots and does take shots, you know. And, okay, at times I do think you should do better in some of the positions, but you see goals like the one against Brighton. That goal against Brighton only happened because Ziyech had the, you know, saw nothing on and thought, you know, I'll just have a pop from here. How often do we actually see our squad, anyone in the squad, think, you know, I'll just have a pop from here? The only players that do it are Mason Mount and Rhys-James and Ben Chilwell if he's playing, along as if he's playing.
0: Maybe a Tony Rudiger annual shot from from distance as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: but I'm talking more sort of from the players you traditionally associate with it. None of our strikers shoot from range. None of our wingers, apart from... Pulisic has a really good shot on him has a really good hit on his foot. I would like to see him at times just unleash that right foot more and just hit it. And okay, I don't mind if you know one or two of them sail miles over the bar because at least when you do that, you show the intent and suddenly when you're then taking on a a defender, they're not sure, are you going to go left or go to the byline or are you just going to cut in and shoot? Whereas so much of the time, they know exactly what players are going to do. They're going to go to the byline because they don't cut in and shoot and then that makes it so much easier to defend against them.
0: Yeah, no, no, exactly. Uh, next question comes in from RJ. My questions for you, fine gents What did you make of the team selection, both personnel and tactically, and of Tuchel's in game management? Uh, Rob, do what do you, did want you start got... with this one Well, I'll say in terms of in game management, it did frustrate me again that the subs were late. Admittedly, I'm also sympathetic to the fact that you know he doesn't have Mason Mount. I didn't really think it was a game. It was t- I don't know, was Timo Vernon on the bench? I didn't even really probably but look at no. him. He He probably he didn't have like maybe the huge options off a bench that he wanted, but it did frustrate me. But it took till the seventy fourth minute for us to make three subs yesterday. It says Werner was on the bench here, but obviously Werner, it probably wasn't a game for him. But yeah. in general, it did just frustrate me. that it took seventy four minutes for us to make three subs. It kind of felt like it was crying. These subs were crying out to be made a bit. Of, and I do think again, it's been a general consensus with Tuchel. And again, it does also. This is again where it does. I don't know many Christians or Tom Tuko, but it does frustrate me when he gives out the excuse, the players are tired, and that, you know, this is why we're playing like this. And I'm thinking, Thomas, you've got subs to make. He you, you kind of made against Brighton during the season you know, a few weeks ago, he kind of made that, said, oh, you know, the players are tired. But he didn't make a sub to, he didn't make a sub to like the 80th minute. And this is why I kind of get a little bit frustrated with like some of this, like, you know, tired talk, because I also think like you have got a squad. Oh, yes, you've only got three subs, not five like you do in other competitions. But you can make these subs earlier. There was I don't know what he saw that kept he thought going. Let's keep Jorginho, Kante and um, Saron for the seventy-four minutes. I don't know what it was. Maybe like one of the three I could kind of understand, but not necessarily all three. So it kind of like seemed almost for like it got to a point, and then at first I thought someone bringing one, and then it was almost like oh, I suppose I'll just bring on the others now as well. Like, I don't know. That's that's kind of my my only complaint really with Tuchel is is sometimes the the in-game management and the subs seem. Do seem quite slow. But again, I do think those subs had an impact. Ruben, maybe not great. He put himself about it, didn't really do much. But Kovacic had an impact. And Alonso, again, whatever people's feelings are of him, that's him, you know, in the 89th minute, a lot of teams at that point, you know, go, we'll settle for the point, we'll settle for the draw. And there's Alonso whipping across to the back, a brilliant cross to that post for, to, to help us get a winner. Um, so that's kind of my, my you know, criticism of, of in game management. In terms of personnel and like tactically, I said when we've got, when hudson Adoy was unavailable, when Azpilicueta is unavailable, it limits you. So I'm not really going to complain too much about that lineup sort I saw be literally my only would being why didn't Kovacic start, because he's probably been one of our best players recently. But then again, I'd have to probably look at Kovacic's uh, minute management and he played both games in the Club World Cup, started both of them, uh, you know, 90 and 120 minutes or whatever, obviously got subbed in. You know, in, in extra time in the final. But it's one of those, probably maybe a case of managing minutes. But I didn't really have too many qualms with, with that starting lineup. But um, yeah, Rob, what about you?
1: Yeah. I, um. firstly, on the time, this point, I think what Tuchel says publicly and what it says privately will be different things. That's very um, true. I've said this to a few people. I think, you know, Tuchel will have a public persona and he will be protecting the players because Tuchel knows that the media, the media want to create a narrative around Chelsea. They want to create a narrative that things are wrong. You know, they were waiting to jump on the fact there was the Club World Cup. They were waiting to jump on the fact we were in a top four battle in the recent weeks. And they've been able to do that. The next one will be next week if we lose in the, you know, the Carabao Cup final. It'll be Tuchel, you know, losing his touch, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. If we win that, you know, it'll be a Mickey if trophy no one wants it anyway. We, we know what the score is. But I think what Tuchel says publicly and privately will be two different things. I don't think he was happy with the performance. I think he maybe left players on possibly because he wondered if Crystal Palace were going to blink first and wondered if they were going to make changes um, and go and try and win it. I did think it was notable in Vieira's post-match interview um, and his post-match comments, he talked an awful lot about trying to stop Chelsea playing and that they sacrificed their own more ambitious uh, game and their own more expansive game in order to stop Chelsea playing and that in hindsight, they probably should have made changes to maybe bring a big man up there, you know, bring on one of the Edouard, Benteke, to give them that presence up front, rather than perhaps having it played long and so often allowing Chelsea to recycle possession. Because ultimately, it was that recycling possession that led to, you know, the ball being played cross-field to Marcus Alonso and Alonso crossing for Ziyech's goal. But I think, you know, from a personnel point of view, it looked a bit disjointed to me I don't necessarily think there was a... I don't think the 4-1-4-1 4-1 worked. I think if it had to be a two, you had to play, you know... You had to properly have Jorginho and Kante sitting. And I don't think Kante was sitting at any point during the game. I think he was trying to go too much to engage. Um, I think Havertz was wasted on the wing. I think you've got to play him up front in that... He likes being in that sort of front free area, in that proper area around the box, and you get the most out of him in that area. Um... And Lukaku, we've already covered sort of so I think it was a bizarre selection. But ultimately, I think it's one of those ones that, you know, you look back on it. And because we won the game, you actually say, actually, it wasn't too bad for minute management. It gave players chances. It meant we didn't need to, you know, dip into players that are perhaps not 100%. On the other hand, if we haven't won it, then you'd be saying the same things about, you know, being safe and sale.
0: Yeah, no, fair, fair. Uh, next question comes in from Jay. Is this the end for Pulisic? Will he be sold in the summer, or do we persist with it? I'm sh- unsure. We know there's a ton of air, but I haven't seen it in a hot minute. And Rob, this is kind of my thing. thing with Pulisic is, last week on the pod, I praised him in Club World Cup final because I thought that was one of his best games for a while. Yeah, but then you know, following week later, we're back to kind of wondering like what what is Pulisic kind of doing? Because again, like he get yeah, okay, he won a few fouls, won a few free kicks, and decent areas yesterday but he felt like he was just holding on to the ball too long. He was just, you know, wasn't really necessarily going anywhere with it. And it's kind of just a frustration with Pulisic is that we see, we're seeing glimpses essentially, but we haven't seen, but we've basically been seeing glimpses and moments for the last two years. When yeah. in his first season, we saw consistency, certainly for a, a reasonable period of time anyway, yeah. after project restart. So you're just kind of things on Pulisic and what we do with him, because again, it's, it's kind of getting to that point now where like, said so Chelsea, it does feel Chelsea have one attacker too many. And one, it maybe feels to some that Timo Werner is the obvious one to go. And again, his his lack of minutes in, in, in recent weeks and months maybe is an indicator that he's maybe the, the easiest one or the one Tuchel is 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 less keen on. It does also feel that Pulisic is someone that, you know, really does need to 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 sort of step up because again, it feels like maybe it's a shootout between him and Callum hudson And to Callum's credit, although he's, you know, maybe not had the, the career of the likes of Pulisic has, I don't think there's any doubt that Callum in general hasn't really put too much of a foot wrong when he's played for Chelsea this year, even if he has left us wanting a bit more.
1: Mm. <sighs> it's difficult. Pulisic like, show is clearly an immense talent in there that does come out at times. Um, I get the feeling that he's one of those players that at the moment in the Premier League is better off the bench. I think he could do really, really well if he went back to Germany and the stage he's up to now. Um, And it wouldn't surprise me if Bayern, if he was available at a sensible price, if they took a chance on him this summer. I just kind of feel that Pulisic hasn't really kicked on in a Chelsea shirt for a variety of reasons. And I think, like you said, there's going to be a reshuffle of the attackers in the summer. I think the only only two I would say at the moment, or three, I suppose if you include Mason Mount, the only two I'd say at the moment that are likely, I think, to say... Oziic because he's performing and Kai Havertz because I think Chelsea are trying to build something around him and trying to, you know, are willing to put the patience and the investment in. Werner, Werner's weird in that Werner, Werner looks like he should, you know, he puts the running in, he puts the hard yards and he puts the work in, but it just doesn't seem to, you know, ever sort of come to anything. Hudson-Odoi is just consistently inconsistent he's just so so frustrating to watch as a footballer as is Pulisic and when you look at them you look at say Broger out on loan Broyer who's doing really well at Southampton again didn't score yesterday but was a constant menace bullied the Everton defence um just absolutely bullied them bullied Manchester United the week before and you look at that and you think you know if you put Brogier say up front and then a couple of you know Ziyech maybe on the left and then a or Ziyech on the right and then a winger on the left and you had balls coming into Broder balls being played up to him you know the option to play off of him someone really in behind off the wing or you know if you're using wing backs you've got sort of you know Rhys James and Ben Chilwell on his back suddenly that looks you know really really promising so I wouldn't be surprised to see an awful lot of reshuffling happen in Chelsea's attack this summer and I think you know I think Thomas Tuchel in all honesty would quite happily move any of them on would happily move any of the wingers on. I think Ziyech is the only one because Ziyech at the moment in the form he's in isn't going to get moved on because it was the form. But I think Thomas Tuchel from his perspective would happily move any of them on.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, exactly. I think also again we kind of just kind of made a point last week. Thomas Tuchel has basically has achieved a lot with this Chelsea squad, where only one signing has you know, one okay, Sal on loan has said, but one signing has actually sort of been made under his time in charge. mm and I see he says it. I think he does deserve credit for, for what he's you know, achieved with, with this team. And this yeah. at times felt like a bit of a bunch of misfits. Next uh, question's come in from Dieter. Hi, guys. What was your take about performance? We've kind of already discussed that bit. But were Chelsea lucky to win the game and then worst best player on the pitch? Because, again, luck, I guess it, it depends how you kind of interpret this Make question. In football. There we go. Uh, who was the worst best
1: player on the pitch for you yesterday, Rob? Oh, Christ. Um our best is easy, best is by far Um, I also, to be to be fair to him, I thought Christensen had a pretty good game at right back, considering it's not his traditional position, he was up against Will Zaha Zaha didn't get past him too many times Um, and you know did manage to stem that, so that was probably one of the few positives Worst player that's I mean, yeah, it's got to be one of Jorginho, Kante or Pulisic. I, I'm not sure how I can really split them. I thought Kante had a poor game by his standards, but he just sort of, you know, Kante to me didn't look balanced in the midfield. He didn't look comfortable in the way it was working, maybe being pushed into that sort of more attacking role in the 4 one Pulisic was trying to do an awful lot, but like, I think, for example, it was one of the stats I saw Pulisic had the most dribbles out of anyone in the squad. But he also had the most lo- uh, sort of possession losses of anyone in the squad. And uh, Jorginho, again, it wasn't a Jorginho game. I'd have started a different midfielder in for Jorginho. And then maybe if you, you know, one or two nil up, you bring Jorginho on to close the game out in a situation like that. I don't think he's the sort of player you use against a low block Crystal Palace that weren't ever going to intend to come out. Damn, so, yeah, yeah. One, of, one of them three. I, I can't split them. I mean, Saar was poor, but did you know, a did job, a job. Yeah, yeah. Rudiger and Silver, I think, you know, didn't put a foot wrong. Um, Mendy, uh, did Mendy touch the ball? Um, Havertz, I thought, actually Havertz again, I thought was poor, but, you know, probably marginally better. Lukaku was awful, but I don't think, you know, I think that's a mixture of reasons why. I mean, Lukaku could easily go. I'll, I'll put any one of the five, Jorginho, Kante, I'll take Kante out, he's probably marginally better, but Jorginho, um, Kulic, Lukaku, all habits, all four of them, you know, were not up to up to scratch.
0: Fair enough, yeah. Best front pitch, Akim ZHS did pretty easy. And again, Tiago Silva and Antonio to back, you know, didn't really put for wrong Say Crystal Palace with all their, you know, with their you know fret up top didn't really cause any them any problems. And yeah, worst player. I'll I'll give I said I, I won't include Jorginho because I, I didn't think he was he was like, really bad. I just didn't think he was great. I'll just go no. with Habits, uh, Pulisic, and Rom. Yeah, I
1: think that's probably fair.
0: Um, next question comes in from Christopher. Can you see the plan within how we play of what Tuchel wants players to, to do to create chances and score with the issue being quality and consistency? Or is there no clear identifiable identity in the final third?
1: Like, this is difficult, this one, because I think, you know, let's... Firstly, like, let's remember, Thomas Tuchel has been here for 18 months, of which that time you know, six months of that was spent into a campaign where we were always going to play one way and ultimately we won the Champions League doing it. So I'm not going to pretend there was something wrong with that method. It's not as if you know, I've got every obvious criticism of it. When we were playing with the wing backs acts earlier in the season, we were playing really expansive football, not conceding goals, scoring goals for fun, and you know we're top of the link. We haven't really been able to do that since. Now, I think when you get the wing backs back and you have both of them back, there will be a clear situation and quite a clear argument at least, or quite a clear sort of mandate to say we should be playing like that again. And if we're not, then there's a problem. However, at the moment, I also think there's far too much chopping and changing. I don't think we've started the same front three for five games in a row season or for three games in a row season. And, and as long as you keep chopping and changing, you're never going to build any kind of consistency or fluidity. So then the question comes in, what is the best front three? Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm going to ask that question to you, Nick. What, what do you think is the best front three?
0: Rob, I don't know. It changes, it changes on a weekly basis. What saying, I will say, and I brought this question up, is a lot of us did want sort of the same team going forward. And to be fair, obviously, till Mount got injured, Tuchel had kind of been giving us that in in, in Lukaku, ZH, Mount and hudson adoy wasn't it beat those mm-hmm. those four had about a run of three games in a row maybe
1: yeah
0: three or four games in a row and and did all right i would say is ZH has clearly benefited from being trusted and just given a run and right now you would say he is in a best front three is romelu lukaku in our best front three he's playing every game at the moment he's not offering a huge amount he's playing does he make him in our best front three i don't know does Christian Pulisic make our best front free at the moment? Not for me. No. Does Kamil Sndoy make our best, you know, part of our attack? It depends. Does Kai Havertz mm-hmm. make our best front free? Maybe. I think it, it's a tough one. I think Mason Mount does. So, but he's injured at the moment. So it's kind of that one's a bit of me. It's a tough one. It is a tough one uh, for what we what I say our best our best front free is. And again, it, it's tough because it said you know we had you know players have put a little bit of momentum together they played and then obviously Mount got injured in Club World Cup final. um ZS didn't play that game and start that game anyway in Club World Cup final. So, you know, the Club World Cup, you know, we we had we had sort of a settled team going into it and then we went to the Club World Cup and we sort of broke that up immediately and then there's been some injuries, etc. Mm. And it, it's been tough, but I will say you know, about Club World Cup, I thought, you know, Rom and Havertz, you know, linked up fairly well. You know, I thought Kai, you know, played quite well in the two games. Rom, but I was, you know, probably the best we've seen of him for a bit. So, it is... um It is a tough one.
1: Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely.
0: Um, Right. Next question comes in from Harrison. How much of a decline in performances is because of both fullbacks, Reece and Chile being out injured, or were they simply covering up the cracks with their great run? Because, Rob, this is like, this topic has been debated for, a you know, has been discussed for ages, ever since Reece and Chile got injured. Now, we did really... Really seemed to struggle. We did, we did fall off, and I think you know it does kind of show that we were sort of top. You know that Juventus game is kind of like sort of feels like where our season peaked. That was like the high point, and from then on is we've never really got close to those levels again. But for you, how much of it is down to to recent Chile, you know, being injured, or as the question whether that were they also covering up cracks collect- with their go on? Because to me, it might be a bit both. Because you know, let's not forget our wing backs were scoring a lot of our goals and winning us games. And our attack wasn't exactly, you know, while we were scoring goals, our attackers weren't necessarily, you know, being in and amongst those goals during that time either.
1: This is what's really difficult for me, um, is that, and again, I'm going to do the wider thread on it of open play and closed play goals and where they come from. But I I think that, I think Chelsea, not necessarily paper you over the cracks, but I think we looked a much better team with Chilwell and James in there because we had six months of playing with wing-backs pretty consistently playing with those wing-backs and getting used to that formation and that system. Then when Chilwell got injured, we tried to play the same thing, but obviously couldn't do that um, because Alonso isn't the sort of same player. And then when Reese James was injured, you couldn't do that because the and Alonso were not the same sorts of players. So I don't actually think it's papering over the cracks as per se. I think it's just a case that it's a... It highlights to Tuchel, I think, where more depth is needed. And to be fair, I don't think Tuchel's an idiot. I think he knows this, but... I also don't think he wanted to go out in January and bring the stopgap wing back. And it's been pretty, you know, well-documented. Tuchel didn't want to spend money for the sake of it in January because Chelsea will be aware they've got the buyback clause on Livermento, They've got Ian Mattson out on loan. They've scouted Bourne Sosa at Stuttgart quite heavily. There is Dujon Sterling doing okay out on loan at Blackpool. There are options that can come back into that role. And I think this summer we could see an awful lot of shuffling Of players, I think there'll be quite a big, over the next 18 months, quite a big rebuild of that Chelsea squad, because there's a lot of players, I think, there that are reaching the end of their natural shelf life at the club. Um, I think there's a lot of players that, you know, you have to just say, thank you for your service and we wish you well for the future. Um, And I think there are some, you know, younger players that are going to look at Chelsea and say, actually, at the moment, I'm not going to get a chance. I need to go elsewhere to play regular minutes. At the same time, I'm sure Chelsea will bring players in, you know, that they will bring players in to ma- back, m- match the vision. So to me, I think it's more the a case of seeing where we are in the summer. And what I really think needs to happen is a bit like the Mourinho um, season in 2013 14, where we had an okay sort of season under him. He identified, I want back, I want Cesar Fabregas, I want Diego Costa, I want, you know, um, sort of a backup striker, I want a left back. I know, you know, obviously Didier Drogba came in late on, but I want a third choice striker as well. And suddenly, you know, we went and cruised the league. And I think in the summer, Thomas Tuchel will know, right, I want a centre-back, I want a wing-back, possibly a wing-back on either side, you know, don't know. But I want them, I want a midfielder, and I want maybe one or two versatile attackers. Go and get me that, sell the players I don't want, and we will win the league. And I think that's what needs to happen. Fair enough, fair
0: enough. Yeah, I said it's the decline is, you know, the wing backs Like, it was a big loss. Those two were obviously a key part of the system. But also, you know, you'd like to think that given how we'd long, we've been out with recent and Chile as well, that at some point there would sort of be an upturn in, in maybe levels of performances. And we've not quite seen that. Obviously, Spur, I said this, so I think Spurs aside, you know, and I'm, so wait, the Spurs games in all in, in the League and Cups and the Liverpool games aside, I can't think of like a game where we've played really, really well since Juventus. Um maybe I, I'm wrong, but I can't maybe Vip, I mean, because Villa again, that was more a second half, but in terms of like yeah, uh...
1: second half. Um I mean I'm I'm just counting the Chesterfield game because that doesn't really yeah. count that was sort of you know a bit of after law Man's show. Um I, I think you know Spurs and the carabouts yeah. in the first leg, I think Spurs in, you know In the game, at the bridge, I thought we played relatively well throughout that. I think the Liverpool game, we actually played very well in as well. Um, Albeit we conceded, you know, goals from two silly, one silly individual mistake and one moment of brilliance. And that's what I think, you know, needs to be tightened up is that if we aren't making the silly mistakes, we don't tend to concede many goals. Um, Okay, you had the one last week by Palmeiras, but that was from, I think, a harsh handball that wouldn't have been given domestically. I don't think those sort of handballs get given in the Prem. I think it's only in European competition that probably gets given. We conceded that goal against Plymouth due to a set piece. We conceded the goal against Brighton due to a set piece. We conceded against Liverpool due to an individual statement. Like, we are not leaking a lot of goals. And I think if we can just get, you know, to a point where we are scoring one or two a game, we'll keep winning games. And I know people won't like hearing that, but until the end of the season, that might just be the best way to do it. Because we are more of a cup side at the moment. And I think we need those investments and those right players in, in order to be the all-round package.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And as I said, I was saying to Rob Fair, I'll be brutally honest. In terms of the league, the title's gone. We should get top four. I don't really care a huge amount about the performances we put in, in the Premier League, as long as we get the results on the board. Because at this point in the season, that's what we've got to do. Because when we look back at the season, if we've got top four, and let's say hopefully third place, however many points that is, We've won, you know, we've won the Super Cup and we've won the Global Cup. Fingers crossed we win a League Cup. Uh, you know, the FA Cup, we've got as good a good chance as anyone of winning that. And the Champions League, we'll just have to see how that, you know, draw goes. Obviously, we've got to hopefully get past Lille. But it's one of those I where... Will, if I will you've...
1: say, I, I said this in the Champions League, no one will want to face us in the Champions yeah. League over two legs. Exactly. No, no one will want to do it because they know we will, you know, they know the way Thomas Tupel will set things up. And also the way player, Chelsea players can rouse themselves for the big occasion.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. as what I was saying to Mates yesterday, I was a lot more confident that we would ter- we would play a lot better against Liverpool in the League Cup final next week than we would against Palace, just because these players do get up for for the big occasions. So as I said, when I we looking back, I said the league I'm as long as we, you know, get the job done and secure top four and ideally third, then I don't really care how we play in that for the rest of the season because I'm also worried that we've had to deal with injuries, we've had to deal with COVID. Other teams have had games postponed when we've had more of a case for it and not had any postponed and we played some games where perhaps, you know, I think Wolves away, perhaps, you know, was a game, a clear example of a game we, you know, perhaps really shouldn't have played. But now again, looking back at nil-nil there is probably a decent result, but it's just one of those where given what we've had to experience this season, you know, I'm pretty fairly happy where we, where the direction we're moving in and said, certainly can see, can see the progress there. Uh, next question comes in from a mark. What did you think about what do you think about Chelsea switching back to a 4 3 3 and sticking with it? We played very well that system against Spurs, got the best out of attackers as well. ZH had one of his best performances for Chelsea as well, Rob? Because yeah. this is the, the thing because the 4 1 4 1 yesterday, you know, was a bit a bit of a mixed bag. And we also seen a you know, what we'll have four triple, 2 at points as well. But your kind of thoughts on, on maybe switching to a 4 3 3? Yeah,
1: possible. I think at the moment, my, my concern out a 4 3 3 would be that you end up with an ele- it quite disbalanced because I don't think Alonso can play in a four at the back. I think Sar at left-back is okay from a defensive point of view, but it does lack an attacking sort of fulcrum of it and there's no obvious name. I mean, could you play Kennedy there? Probably not as well. So I think it's sort of, you know, there's a lack of that balance in the squad and in that situation.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, a final question, and again, this is not Football related, so we'll just end it here, from Jordan. Last more look out, you. But well, just a round question to, to end that you know because he thought it'd be nicer than talking about, about Chelsea. So we'll end on a Star Wars theme note.
1: I mean it's a it's a tough one. Um I mean I've probably I don't know. Darth Maul was one of those characters that just so like is so memorable because they uh such a you know odd appearance and the double lightsaber, I mean like I remember first seeing that and thinking, wow, that's it's pretty snazzy. But then Dooku did have the curved lightsaber and was played by Sir Christopher Lee rest in peace, God rest his soul, Um, and, you know, was just iconic. I'm going to have to give it to Maul purely for the one reason, the very, very pedantic reason, that he was the first character I ever purchased with with studs on Lego Star Wars, the original, and I remember saving up all the studs and getting Darth Maul as that first, you know, as my first uh, purchase Sith character to do all the Sith doors, and it was brilliant. So, you know, he probably just shades it purely on nostalgia basis.
0: Fair enough. Also, again, forgive me if I'm wrong, he's also part, his his fight scene is also got that iconic Jewel of the Fates music, which uh, Spurs also play before their, before their home goes, which always makes me laugh whenever I make the trip. Uh, that is correct, it. yeah. That, that so, is correct. So I will, I will side with, with Darth Maul on this one as well. But yeah, a, a nice way to, to end, uh, end on, a, on a less serious note. Uh, before we go, as always, Rob, give yourself one final plug where people can find you on Twitter, but also more importantly, where they can find the Chelsea social and the Chelsea women's social.
1: Yeah, the much more interesting ones, follow at the Chelsea Social and at the CSW social for the interesting content. And if you want to see me have my one man crusade against referees, particularly Anthony Taylor, then at RJP Journalism.
0: Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. Those links will be in the description below. As for us, we're on Twitter at chess ChelseaPod, you can follow us on Twitter at that uh, on yeah, on Twitter at ChelseaPod, Instagram at Black chess Pod. We're on all your usual podcast platform providers, Spotify. Apple, etc. You can leave us rating view on Spotify and Apple. That is greatly appreciated. It? And yeah, just please play this pod to anyone with a functioning pair of ears, please. You know that will do nicely. And uh, until the next episode, everybody keep the blue flag for Sports social podcast network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps>